Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. I'm going to move forward. We're in our third part on Israel. This is the last time I want to say a special thank you to Pastor Stephen for inviting me to, uh, to, to speak, number one, and, uh, and number two, to speak on this uh, very important topic. But before we do, I want to show you a, a video that comes from uh, Church Renewal because, as most of you know, uh, I lead a ministry now for the last uh, bunch of years, over a decade, called uh, Church Renewal. And um, uh, we have a video to show you of a um, Muslim woman from Africa and how she gets saved and, and so on and so forth. And um, we'll watch that, and I'll make a couple of comments, and then we'll move right into the message, all right? Yes, I'm Farida Mlindwa Nabonje. I'm 43 years old. I've been a Muslim for all my life. Not until the first day I had a voice from somewhere I didn't know. I didn't know it was God. The voice was telling me, why are you crying yet you pray to me? I was crying because I missed being given a visa to the UK, which was all along my cry. I used to pray a lot about it. So when I went on, I got um, a lot of encounters, a lot of visions and dreams. Um, the, f the dream that I'll never forget is the dream I got when a lady was showing me a holy Bible. Oh my God. The lady was showing me a holy Bible and told me, please try to, to, to read about this. It is a good book. But in the dream, I did not accept. And I told the lady, my dear, I'm a Muslim. You're seeing me putting on like a Muslim. I cannot take the holy Bible. Then after that, I continued praying my five prayers every day. But I reached an extent where I could no longer recall the words in the prayer. So I was in a confusion of what, what is really going on in my life. One day I was sleeping on my bed and the night, um, I got like vibrations coming on my bed and the bed started shaking. Then I, I shouted, Jesus, Jesus, three times. And remind you, to remind you, I would not say a word Jesus in my life for the rest of my life. So when I, uh, the vibrations went, I was, oh, what is really going on? How could I even shout Jesus for three times? Then things went on going like that. After that time, um, I, when I lost words in my prayers, I, I, I wonder, ask the Lord, what is really going on in my life? The first time, I saw a Bible in the, um, the dream. The second time, I'm calling Jesus three times. Then the third time, I knelt down and asked a question. I said, Father, in the name of Allah, if you are the God I've been praying for for the rest of my life, I want you to answer me this question. Why do you want me to be? Am I a Muslim? Am I a Christian? Because between that time, I decided, I started to listening to very good gospel music. The gospel music would heal my pain. The gospel music would comfort me. The gospel music would give me joy. Yet remember, I was a Muslim. When I asked that question, guess what? <laughs> I had a dream which was very, very clear. The dream was I went to a certain place which was being cleared 
uh, I saw a lot of beautiful cars, white cars parked at somewhere, and uh, there were a lot of tractors clearing the, the, it was like a big field. So when I reached there, I asked, where am I? But in the dream, it was like someone was taking me to that place. As I was asking myself where I was, uh, seven ladies came behind me where I saw one lady that I know of our village. She was a born again lady. So the lady asked me, Hajat, what are you doing in this place? Then I said, hey, is it, is it, is it bad for me to come here? Then the lady told me, this place is for born again. Oh my God. Then I said, oh, it's for born again. I'm also here then. When I woke up from the dream, I put my hands up and I said, Lord, I surrender. Lord, I surrender. That is the day I decided to accept Jesus Christ. Then immediately I heard another, uh, like, the, the Spirit told me, it was not a voice this time, that you go and look for Ashe. Ashe is a brother that we grow up in the same area at my home village in Kamocha. But these boys, these men, were born again from childhood as we were Muslims. So the Spirit told me, you go and look for Ashe. Go and look for Ashe. So I decided to text Ashe and told Ashe, I want to tell you something. Then Asha gave me time. I gave him my testimony. I was so shaking. I was so crying. I even didn't know why I was crying, by the way, that day. But Asha told me it is the Holy Spirit. So I decided to give my life to Jesus Christ. I'm so happy. I'm going under uh, lessons through the way. The app called The Way. Asha told me that app called The Way. So I'm going under this app reading and learning more about listening and hearing God. But guess what? I'm enjoying each and everything. So that is how I'm enjoying each and everything through under the way. I'm so, so, so happy and honored to share my testimony. Thank you. All right, and uh, this Ashi she's talking about that she grew up with because she didn't know what else to do, and the Holy Spirit gave her the idea to talk to Ashi. Ashi's last name is Wandera, and Ashi Wandera just happens to work for Church Renewal. <laughs> He's the assistant to Henry Kukuza, our director in Africa, and so that's why he, he's taking her through the way. But anyway, we'll uh, tie that up a little later. I think there's a slide coming up uh, with the QR code. If you're interested in our newsletter, in the Church Renewal International newsletter, if you, uh, we tested it, if you just, uh, if you know how to use the QR code and you try that right now, it'll open it up and uh, you can give us the information and we'll give you our monthly newsletter in which we have testimonies and updates uh, continually of what God is doing. And if you don't know how to use a QR code, and I won't ask you if you do, <laughs> then simply email us. Uh, email, uh, you can email me, you can email, uh, you can email Kim, uh, Kim Neufeld or Kim M at uh, churchrenewal.com. If you forget that, if you forget everything else, then just email your pastor. Yep. And, uh, and he'll, uh, he'll, get a, he'll get it to us, okay? So that's what you can do. Uh, now, just uh, one little update. Uh, last year, uh, Pastor Stefan asked me if, if I would come and share an entire morning on church renewal. 
And uh, so I did. And I reported at that time that we had just hit 1,750 pastors that were mentoring in uh, about 55 countries at that time. You want to know what the number is now? All right, come back next week, and then I'll... No, 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 no. no. <laughs> That's how we used to do it, right? We'd say, then come to the prayer summit tonight, and then, uh, and then we'll tell you. No, the number uh, has just crossed 2,600 now. 900 in, in, a, in a year, yeah. And I, uh, the reason I'm telling you this is it takes a lot of people to make this happen. We have so many partners, uh, financial partners. So we get a lot of marketplace leaders that are helping us. There's many of you individually that give uh, directly to church renewal. Uh, there, we have prayer partners. This entire church supports us. This, is a big, this, this church supports us. Uh, uh, in fact, Ron McLean said to me recently, he, he said, I would say about 90% of what we do in church renewal comes because of this church in this region. About 90%. That's pretty significant, wouldn't you say? And so I just wanted to take a couple of minutes and, uh, to say a very special thank you to your pastor, to you, to all of those, uh, all of you who give, who, um, who pray, who help us in uh, countless different ways, uh, because it's making a huge difference. 4% of pastors in the world have any training whatsoever. 4%. Did you get that? Do you see why we have a problem? And why we have such tremendous needs? And so even some of the things that I preach on here and stuff, our pastors get that all around the world. They get all this stuff. And so uh, you're helping us in that, in that way. That's as much time as I can take on this right now because I am, I'm just itching to preach now. So uh, let's uh, bow for a word of prayer for our last segment on, uh, on Israel uh, today. Lord, thank you for this time. I was so moved by the, by the worship. Even that song that talked about the nations there, and uh, I, I couldn't believe that that song was picked because of what we're talking about. And then, of course, that last song that uh, Pastor Stephen picked the, uh, some weeks uh, ago that we've been singing, how you're gathering your people back, um, your people Israel back. Uh, we just thank you that your spirit is moving and working in this place, in, the, in this church, and um, across the nation around the world. And uh, we just say to you, as, as uh, we already were challenged to do, to give our yes. And Lord, I said yes, even as we were being challenged, I said yes again. Whatever it is you want, Lord, in these last days, thank you for the privilege that we have to partner with you in this last hour, in this last hour, before your return. So now we choose to engage with what you want to show us out of your word and ask you to bless it. Bless your word as it goes out now. I pray that it would not return void, but that would achieve what you sent, sent it out for. In Jesus' name, and everybody agreed by saying, 
When Israel didn't meet the conditions for remaining in the land, um, God removed her in two stages, we said a couple of messages ago, 722 BC, the Assyrians, and then 586, the Babylonian exile. But God brought her back because his purposes to bless the nations, that's the purpose for Israel. If somebody ever wonders, what's the purpose for Israel? To bless the nations. God wanted to bless the nations through a nation. And so, um, the, and, and, the, and it wasn't complete. And so he brought her back, even though she had been exiled for disobedience. Though never an autonomous nation again until 1948, so that's about 2,500 years, the regathered people would give birth to the Savior, complete the scriptures, found the church, and send the gospel out to the nations. But because her leaders rejected the Messiah and led the people to reject him too, Jesus prophesied that she would again go into exile. In 70 AD, the Romans destroyed Jerusalem and the temple and scattered the peoples to the nations of the world, and Israel as a nation was gone completely, or as a, as a gathered people was completely gone for 1,900 years. And for those 1,900 years, Israel was in exile. That Israel was in exile. Many theologians and scholars concluded that God's purposes for Israel were complete. And you can understand why they would be tempted to think so, even though the scriptures said otherwise, and there were many, and I have a whole list of them, uh, many, many godly uh, preachers who long before she was regathered, like Charles Spurgeon, who were preaching that Israel would have to be back in the land, even though they had been gone for so long. But in 1948, the nation of Israel was supernaturally reborn, and the question was, why? Well, Israel's purpose in the land wasn't complete, and God still intends to do two things. There's two chief things he wants to accomplish. Israel needs to be saved, and the nations need to be saved. Amen? Those are the two chief reasons right there. How will this happen? That's what we're going to talk about in this message now. Israel will, first of all, be attacked and defeated. There's another attack coming and another defeat coming. There's going to be a rise of a world ruler, an antichrist. Daniel received a vision of four historical world empires. He says, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts. Now, right away, you're going to be tempted. Some of you are going to be tempted to turn off right now. Oh, this symbol, you can't understand any of this. Listen to me. Often when Scripture gives symbolism, it actually describes what it is and explains it. It's, it's no different than you do this. You, you do this in your ministry here. You, uh, you listen in prayer and you get pictures from the Lord. Do you? Do any of you do that? And then it's often he gives you meanings for that, right? But the pictures are a succinct way that touch your emotions in a way that words don't necessarily do it. And so God uses pictures or symbols. So don't be turned off by the symbols. Get excited about the symbols, okay? Amen? 
All right, here we go. A few verses later, Daniel describes it. The angel says to him, the four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth. They're actually empires. They're leaders of empires, like Nebuchadnezzar and, and Alexander the Great and so forth. These empires rose up from the Mediterranean region. The first three subjugated Israel in the past, like Babylon, um, uh, uh, Medo-Persia, the Greeks, the Romans. The fourth, in the end, it says, will subjugate Israel in the future. And this last empire will be the last human empire. We are close to the end. There's one empire left to go that's going to subjugate Israel, okay? And, it's, uh, and there's been other empires, don't get me wrong, but when Scripture talks about it, it's talking about it from an Israel-centric point of view because God works through Israel. This last empire will be the last human empire. It will be the most ruthless and terrifying of any that preceded it. Daniel 7.7. 7. Before me was a fourth beast, and now he describes it. Terrifying, frightening, very powerful, large iron teeth, crushed and devoured its, uh, its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts or empires, and it had ten horns. Okay, wait, ten horns. Does, it, does the angel tell him what the ten horns are? He does. In verses 23 to 24, the fourth beast, which is an empire, is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from the other kingdoms, will devour the whole earth, trampling it down, crushing it. The ten horns are what? Ten kings. They are ten national or international or leaders of nations who will come from this empire. So this empire is going to be made of an alliance or coalition or confederacy of ten nations that are going to come together. And this fearsome empire, and you see a map there of the Middle East, uh, I think you do, yeah, there you see some of, the, uh, some of these uh, countries. And um, this fearsome empire is a coalition, as I said, and this fearsome alliance of ten nations will be led by a leader who Daniel referred to as a little horn. So sometimes you, you see that, but think of it, a horn. Power. Leadership. While I was thinking about the horns there before me, um, uh, there was uh, before me another horn, a little one. So the horns were those kings, but here's a little one that's coming up, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted. In other words, he overpowers the other three leaders, and he becomes the prominent leader. John speaks of this very thing in Revelation. And by the way, when you're reading the New Testament, the New Testament writers are always, including Jesus, are always depending on the Old Testament prophets for their information. And they assume that you and I know our Old Testaments. That's an important point. Because if we don't know our Old Testaments at all, then we're going to have trouble with the New Testament. All right? So anyway, uh, John speaks of it. It says, The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but 
who for one hour will receive, short time, will receive authority as kings along with the beast, this alliance, this confederacy. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. So these nations will submit to the one. And uh, the ten-member confederacy is made up of nations that surround Israel, as you see, uh, as you are seeing on the map there. And Zechariah says, "Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the which peoples, surrounding peoples." The scripture actually tells us who these nations are. It uses the word "surrounding." You can you can look it up at home. By the way, all these all the points that I'm making here are backed up by a plethora, many passages of scripture, and I spent huge amounts of time cutting it all out so that we could talk about it. So we're skimming this morning, all right? But you go in Ezekiel, for example, 36 to 39, you read all of that, Zechariah 12 to 14, and I don't mean verses, I mean <laughs> chapters, you know? And Jesus, uh, Matthew 24 to 25, and, and so on and so forth, okay? Surrounding peoples, Judah will be besieged as well as Jerusalem. The prophets name these nations, I had to take it out, but they actually name them and they are the same names as what, what you saw on the map there. Maybe someday we'll talk about that. The second thing is, not only does this ruler rise up, he makes a covenant or peace accord. That's what's going to happen. Watch for it. It's coming. It'll be a seven-year covenant or peace treaty like the Oslo Accords between Israel's uh, Yitzhak Rabin and the PLO's uh, Arafat in 1993 and 95, or any one of the other ones. Daniel 9.27 says he will confirm a what? Covenant or peace treaty or peace accord with many for one seven. That's, uh, that's, that's a seven-year period. We don't have time to develop that. But in the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering, and at the temple, he'll set up an abomination that causes desolation. So, this peace accord that's coming and that you're going to hear about in the news in future days, I don't know how, many, how, how long from now, it could happen at any time. It could, it, it could happen in the next couple of years. I don't know. Nobody knows. But this peace accord or covenant is for one set of seven years and marks the start of the tribulation and the early, early birth pains. And according to Daniel, this peace accord will allow the Jewish people to have a what? A temple. Now, it could be a tent, a tabernacle. It could be something that's constructed very, very easily and, and put together. And it'll be on the Temple Mount to offer sacrifices there. That's what Daniel is saying, because he's talking about making sacrifices at a temple. And the peace accord is going to have something to do with that. Now, what would happen? I mean, think about this for a minute. Can you imagine right now what would happen if the Orthodox Jews, who, by the way, hold a balance of power in... Um, in Netanyahu's government today. That's incredible to think about that. But can you imagine what would happen if the Orthodox Jews got the government to erect a temple on the Temple Mount today where the Dome of the Rock sits? <laughs> You'd have World War III. Like right now, 
Amen? Oh, yeah. Some of you have been to Israel. How many of you have been to Israel? Yeah. And uh, so, uh, but you see it on pictures, too. You know, you can see it from Mount of Olives, and you see the Dome of the Rock on the Temple Mount there. And uh, if that happened, you'd be in trouble. Now, there's two conditions that would have to happen for this, uh, or, or for this to happen. The Orthodox Jews would have to have a balance of power in government, like they do today. And the Antichrist has to convince the surrounding nations of the, of the Confederacy. Think about that. Because right now, <laughs> you'd have a powder keg. But somewhere, he's going to make a deal with them. It's going to be a, a secret deal, I think. And say, let's let them have their temple on there. But I won't go any further for a moment. So there's going to be this covenant or peace accord. And somehow, there's going to be sacrifice and offering at the temple. So that's still coming. Then there's going to be the abomination of desolation and tribulations. Daniel says that midway through this peace treaty, this ruler will break his promise, ending sacrifice and committing sacrilege at the temple. And uh, let's look at verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 27 of Daniel. In the middle of the seven, that seven-year period, he'll put an end to sacrifice and offering. In other words, they were. They, they, they were making sacrifices and offering already, and he's going to put an end to it. And then at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation. He is satanically inspired because he's the Antichrist. That's what John calls him in 1 John uh, 2. Uh, for he proclaims himself as God, according to Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, and Paul is copying Jesus, and Jesus is copying the prophets, okay? And, of course, he's expounding on it uh, as well. He, the lawless one, or Antichrist, will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called, what? God, or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, doing what? Proclaiming himself to be God. So that is at least part of the sacrilege that he commits at the temple in the middle of the seven, and that breaks it. Jesus talked about it too in Matthew 24, 15, and uh, referred back to Daniel. He actually names Daniel there. No doubt, the peace accord which Antichrist and the surrounding nations make with Israel will be made under false pretenses. They'll be made under false pretenses. Remember what I said? The Antichrist is going to have to convince this lawless, one, uh, this lawless one, this ruler, this little horn. He's called all those things. He's going to have to convince those surrounding countries, this confederacy that you saw up there, that... Uh, that they should make this peace accord with Israel. But I don't think, I, I think it's under false pretenses. And uh, he'll break it. I think he'll tell them, and then when Israel is complacent, then we'll break it and we'll attack and destroy Israel. Because until now, they've tried numerous times to destroy Israel. Have they been able to do it? No, they always lose. So he's going to use a different tactic. 
And Israel, of course, wants nothing more than peace. And so she will be ripe for that kind of an approach. John, in agreement with Daniel, said that he will blaspheme God and exercise authority over the nations for 42 months, which is three and a half years, which is the same as time times and, and one half a time. So when he uses that, uh, John tells us what that means. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and exercise its authority for how many months? 42 months, which is three and a half years. So immediately uh, upon um, uh, uh, offering that abomination that causes, or setting up the abomination that causes desolation, the, this will happen. And um, he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the world will worship the beast. This will be man's last gasp at setting up his own kingdom on earth. This, that's what this will be. And once this man is exposed as the Antichrist, his wrath in the tribulation will greatly intensify. And Jesus referred to this as the great tribulation. That last three and a half words. The whole thing is bad, but the last three and a half years is particularly bad as we're going to see. Jesus said, for then there will be great tribulation such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. That'll be the end. Amen. Well, what's going to happen? So we said there's a ruler coming. He's going to rise up. He's going to make a peace treaty or a peace accord with Israel. He's going to break it halfway through in the, in, with uh, something called the abomination of desolation. And the great tribulation will follow. And immediately the coalition of ten nations will defeat. Will, they will invade, attack, and they will defeat Israel. Scripture is very clear about that. There aren't just a few kind of vague verses about it. There are huge swaths of Scripture that describe it. But we'll look at just a little bit. In fact, I had to cut out many verses. But when the Antichrist breaks his uh, accord, the alliance surrounding, uh, you know, of surrounding nations will invade an unsuspecting nation of Israel. In future years, Ezekiel said, you, Gog, Another name for Antichrist. He's called a whole bunch of different things, right? Little horn, Antichrist, lawless one, ruler, Gog. <laughs> He's got all kinds of names. Will invade uh, a land that has recovered from war, whose people were gathered from many nations to the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate, and now all of them live in safety. And uh, you and the many nations with you will go up advancing like a storm. You, he's speaking of the Antichrist here, the little horn, the lawless one, this satanically inspired Antichrist, you will devise an evil scheme. You will say, I will invade a land unwalled of unwalled villages. I will attack a peaceful and what? Unsuspecting people. 
all of them living without walls and without gates and bars. Zechariah says that Israel will then be decimated. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds will be struck down and perish. Yet one-third will be left in it. And then uh, in the very next chapter, Zechariah says, I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it, these, these surrounding nations. So uh, uh, God super in, uh, sovereignly superintends these things because he's going to judge the nations there. But they come up against uh, Jerusalem and Israel. The city will be captured, Zechariah says. The houses ransacked. The women raped. Half of the city will go into exile. But the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. So, half the population of Jerusalem will go into exile. A third of the nation, uh, or two-thirds of the nation, will be decimated. This exile and occupation of land by the invader will last three and a half years. In other words, they don't just go in there and, and um, you know, and there's, uh, there's something that happens and then Jesus comes and cleans it all up right away. No, this, this extends for a period of three and a half years. <clears throat> Daniel says the holy people will be delivered into his, speaking of the little horn again, hands for a time, times and half a time, which is how many months? 42 months, three and a half years. And um, they, the Gentiles, uh, John says, will trample on the holy city for 42 months. He agrees with ex uh, exactly with what Daniel is sa uh, saying. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You say, that's what Scripture says? Oh, yes, that is what Scripture says. And I don't say this in a triumphant note. This is, this is a frightening prospect. Uh, it's also a sad prospect, but, we're, but there's, a, there's a good side to the story, so don't run out yet, okay? But think about it. Neither the EU, the, uh, the European Union, nor the USA will be able to protect or deliver Israel. Not that the EU would want to, but uh, they won't be able to protect or de uh, deliver Israel. Worldwide anti-Semitism is rapidly gaining strength again, and we, we see it, right? Um, we had uh, some Church Renewal International pastors here uh, recently, just um, uh, two weeks ago. Eddie and, um, Eddie and Anne Wallace from, uh, from France, and they reported that in their, in their city, um, the, you know, it's... Um, about a third of uh, about a third of them are Muslim, and then uh, in a village just a few minutes ago, uh, away from there, it's about uh, about half half Muslim. So when this Hamas thing uh, started, they made stencils of the Star of David, and then they they found all the Jewish businesses and they spray painted them to identify them. And then the sales of those businesses plummeted because some people are biased against the Jews, and others are just fearful, so they stayed away. Of course, we saw the same thing happening in Canada. The Toronto Sun reported the same thing. Canada starting to look like the 1930s Germany was the title of the article on November the 5th. There was a swastika in the Ottawa demonstration, and, and they defaced Jewish-owned business, a Jewish-owned business called the Aroma 
espresso bar in Toronto. So why is it that the nations, why is it that they, that they hate Israel so much? Why, do they, why is the Jews so hated? Not just now. Why in World War II? Why before that? I mean, that's why they fled. It's because Satan incites them with his own hatred and rage, according to Revelation chapter 12, verse 12 to 13. He rages against Israel because God's blessing to the nations come through who? Israel. That's why he hates them. And because Messiah will establish his kingdom on earth, where? In Israel. And so Satan's trying to stop this from happening. That's at the macro level what's going on. And he's trying to stop this, just like he tried to kill Jesus at his first advent. Do you remember that story? And how he tried to stop the early church. So he hates Israel. Well, Israel will be rescued and saved. Well, first, uh, the Messiah will defeat the nations and rescue Israel. After the three-and-a-half-year occupation and exile, Jesus will come and fight on Israel's behalf and bring her back to the land in the most incredible deliverance that the world has ever seen. And I'm not saying this as hyperbole. I'm not saying this out of my own thinking. We're going to see it out of Scripture. Zechariah chapter 14, beginning with verse 3. <clears throat> then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. Notice that he is personally engaged. He's not just kind of sort of doing it from the from in heaven somewhere, he comes in the person of Messiah, Jesus. Amen? And he's going to fight these nations personally. I wonder who's going to win. <clears throat> Isaiah 63, verse 1 to 3 says, Who is this coming from Edom? Edom is, uh, Edom is like uh, where it, you see it says Lebanon, and, uh, and Jordan, well, not Lebanon, Jordan. It's on the east side of the Jordan River there, uh, kind of where Jordan, but uh, that's Messiah coming. Who's this coming from Edom from Bo Bozrah? That's the ancient capital city of, of Edom. With his garments stained crimson. Who's this robed in splendor, striding forward in the greatness of his strength? And then he answers it himself, it is I speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Why are your garments red? Like those of one treading the winepress. And he answers again, I have trodden the winepress alone from the nations no one was with me. I trampled them, the nations that is, in my anger and trod them down in my wrath. Their blood spattered my garments and I stained all my clothing. Jesus will personally come and fight wickedness, amen, and evil. He's going to do it, and he's going to do it personally. 
And uh, can I just say something? I'll, I'll try to say this graciously, but if the only picture you have of Jesus is the lamb, you need to update your picture of Jesus. You need an update. And you need to go back to Scripture and read what, what the Scripture says about who Jesus is. He came as a lamb to die, but he's coming back as a lion to rule. Amen? Aren't you glad about that? He's going to put an end to this nonsense. Anyway, Israel will spend seven months burying the dead of her enemies. That's what Ezekiel says. For seven months, the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. And the deliverance of Israel will mark the end of the tribulation. All Israel will then be what? Saved. Watch how it happens. Zacharias speaks about what God is doing with the one-third of Jewish survivors during that three-and-a-half-year period. This third I will put into the fire. I will refine them like silver, test them like gold. Jeremiah says it is a time of discipline that will bring Israel back to God. She doesn't know God now. I have surely heard Ephraim's moaning. You disciplined me. They're crying to God. That's northern Israel. You disciplined me like an unruly calf. And I have been disciplined. Restore me and I will return because you are the Lord my God. That's going to happen. Zechariah describes the scene when Israel sees Messiah deliver them. Zechariah 12 he says, this is Messiah speaking, I will pour out on the house of David, that's Israel, and on the people of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and prayer, and they will look on me the one they, what? Pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him. You, you, you just go and read that entire section. In 1948, they returned in unbelief, which continues to, to this day. There's about 20,000 believers in Israel today out of maybe 6 million people. And it's growing. It's, it's much more than it was. But when the Messiah reappears to deliver them, they will recognize that the Lord's discipline of them was justified, and they will mourn and repent of their obstinate unbelief and rebellion. And what the... And that's what the judgments were for, to bring Israel back to God. And the Lord will remove her, their sins. The very next chapter, verse 1, on that day there will be a fountain opened uh, to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. I was singing this morning when I reread that, and I was singing uh, alone by, at home, um, there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that blood lose all their guilty stains. Amen? And that's going to happen not just to Gentiles but Jews. Amen? That's an amazing day coming. And the New Covenant, in the New Covenant, Jeremiah says that all Israel will know God. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. <laughs> That's part of the New Covenant, by the way. The New Covenant isn't complete. It will be completed then. 
And Ezekiel says, they will know the Lord from that day forward. From that day forward, the house of Israel will know that I am the Lord their God. They will never turn from God ever again. It's amazing. And the Jews will return from the four corners of the world. They will return uh, from the ends of the earth. I will gather them from the ends of the earth. A great throng will return. They will come with weeping. The deliverance and return will be greater than the exodus from Egypt. Jeremiah put it this way. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites out of Egypt. That's the exodus, right? But they will say, in other words, they're going to forget about it. As surely as the Lord lives, who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where he had banished them, then they will live in their own land. There is an exodus coming that is going to make them forget about the first exodus. Isn't that amazing? Israel will be planted in the land, never to be dispersed again. Amos says, I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land. And she will never again be surrounded by hateful uh, neighbors. No longer will the people of Israel have malicious neighbors who are painful briars and sharp thorns. thorns. That's going to be it. And she'll live in peace. It's amazing. Well, Israel's ongoing purposes. Jeremiah declared that Israel will be a nation before me forever. Listen to what he says. He who appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon and stars to shine by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar, the Lord Almighty is his name. Only if these decrees vanish from my sight, declares the Lord, Will the descendants of Israel ever cease to be a nation before me? In other words, for my purposes. God's not done with Israel yet. That's why he's bringing her back. He wants her to be saved, but not just for herself, but so that she can be a blessing to the nations and fulfill the mandate that God had for her all along. The nations will come to know the Lord, first of all. How will this happen? Through Israel's deliverance. Remember when Israel left Egypt in the Exodus? Men, it over and over it says, I'm doing this so that you will know me. And then it says, I'm doing this so that the nations will know me. And many Egyptians came out of Egypt with Israel. Many. And, and Rahab, you know, you think about examples of Rahab and all these Gentiles who got saved because of what God did. Rahab said, all the nations have heard what God has done for you. And many were converted. Ezekiel 39 says, I will bring you, Gog, from the far north, send you against the mountains of Israel, then I will strike your bow or your bow from your left hand, make your arrows drop from your right hand. On the mountains of Israel, you will fall. That's that confederacy. You and all your troops and the nations with you. I will make known my holy name among my people Israel. I will no longer let my holy name be profaned. 
and the nations will know that I, the Lord, am the Holy One in? That's part of the way that nations, many, are going to come to Jesus right there. When they see this fantastic deliverance, impossible deliverance, they'll know that it was him. Second, the nations will come to know the Lord through Israel's ministry. Jesus will set up his kingdom on earth and rule as the eternal Davidic king in Jerusalem. Isaiah says, in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains of the nations. Mountains. It's a picture. The powers, the nations. Israel will become the leader of the nations. It will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. You know where the nations stream today? Saudi Arabia. Mecca. One day, they're going to stream to Israel, to Jerusalem. It's no big deal, except for one thing, because that's where Messiah, Jesus, is going to rule. And they're going to, they're going to stream there. They're going to make pilgrimages there. They're going to have to build much bigger airports. And many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go to the mount, up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. Now, we'll listen very carefully to what it says. He, and Israel there, will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The nations are saying this. For the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem through the world. Messiah will reign from Jerusalem for a thousand years. Many people will be born during that time and will need to be saved. Amen? Amen? Many. They're going to have lots of kids for a thousand years. He's going to be ruling there. And Israel will be the mediating kingdom of priests who are going to tell the law. And the nations are going to get saved. Many in the nations. Israel will have a prominent role in bringing them to salvation during this time. Zechariah 14 says the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem, even the surrounding nations, many will be saved. And they're going to go up, their children, year after year to worship the King and the Lord Almighty. I'm going to, go, I'm going to conclude now. <clears throat> There's an interesting verse in Galatians. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem, and then he goes on with that. That verse is often referred to during Christmas time, and we're coming to, to that time, right? By fullness of time, Paul meant that the world into which Jesus came had been prepared historically for Jesus' first coming. In 586, they went into Babylonian exile. They came back 70 years later, as we've talked about in the previous messages. But they didn't come back as a nation. They came back as a province of Medo-Persia. This is really important. Just, just watch this for a second. 
And the empire that succeeded, the Greek Empire, they were a province of the, of the Greek Empire. The Romans came after that and they were a province of the Romans. They were not a, an independent, autonomous nation. They were a gathered people, but that was it. So for 500 years, they were under subjugation of three successive empires. Now, why is this important, what you're saying? So when Jesus was born, there was already a great longing and expectation of a Messiah to rescue them from, these, from their political yokes that they'd been under for four or five hundred years. It was from these who were waiting for Israel's redemption that Jesus received many of his followers. That's who he got his followers from. In other words, the fullness of time, God was setting it all up. The Gentile world was likewise being prepared. All the nations subjugated by the Greek empire adopted Greek as the common language, just like English is. And the Old Testament was translated into Greek. The New Testament was written in Greek. And everyone could understand it. Language wasn't a barrier for God's word anymore. All they needed was somebody to take it out. Well, the Roman Empire came along, and God superintended that. The Roman Empire united the peoples politically, and they built roads, making it easy for the early missionaries to travel anywhere unhindered. No international borders that they couldn't get through. They could, just, they could just go. And they had roads everywhere. The Romans wanted it to, to bring in the taxes. God wanted it to send out the gospel. Amen? He set it up. He set it up in the fullness of time. Neither the ancient religions nor Greek philosophy could solve man's moral problems or satisfy the spiritual cravings he had. So people were hungry on top of all of that. The early church was founded by Jesus and his Jewish followers, and the gospel spread quickly. Today, World War II prepared the land of Israel for the Jews and the Jews for the land. Today, God is preparing the Jews for Messiah's return and their salvation. And the evil and moral bankruptcy of our world is creating spiritual hunger in Gentiles right now. The harvest is already beginning. Messiah Jesus is involved. You, see, you heard the testimony of the Muslim woman who was saved. There's many Muslims coming to Jesus around the world today through visions and dreams. Many. And we need to be involved. You know Chris and Carolyn Pughatch, right? One of the directors in Church Renewal. They lead a group of 15 people, uh, 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 a discipleship group of 15 people in Winnipeg. And uh, they're made up of, uh, their ages are 21 to 71 from six countries. Two atheists, a Muslim, a Catholic, a couple of unchurched Christians, who are finding their way back. Tremendous hunger. And they're, uh, he just told me this morning they're going to use the way this new year with him. He's doing some other 
introductory things with them right now. The National Post on November the 1st reported that the leaders of Hamas are worth billions of dollars and live in Qatar or Qatar. Their leaders are worth billions. And the Palestinian people are in disarray. It's such wickedness. Guess where we're training pastors? Qatar. Church Renewal is in Qatar. We have a group there right now that we're training. We need to pray for the salvation of Israel, but also of the neighboring Arab and Muslim nations, where many are already being saved, and more will be saved. And we need to get involved in the harvest. Amen? Amen. We need to be... You know, your pastor keeps saying, each one, reach one. I love that. Anybody can do it. And uh, we've got tools to help you, like the way. You can, you can take and um, share that, as uh, you've been hearing. May the Lord bless you as you continue to serve Him in these last days, and as you engage with Him in what He's doing around the world. Tremendous harvest has begun. The salvation of the Jews and the Gentiles is going to be unlike anything we've ever seen. And the scriptures just told us the story of how that's going to happen. Amen. May the Lord bless you today.